like achieve states of transcendence, even if it's in bite-sized chunks, kind of like you were describing with your process of um, reading this book and cultivating your peace. Like that is an indication of a drip down soul. Like you're, there is a part of you that's outside of here. So your buy-in to the illusion of this place is less intense than it is for a looper. But it's not because you're, you're better, you're anchored in more of a frequency of absolute truth and the loopers got stuck here. So they're anchored in more of like the illusion, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it makes sense. The, maybe the piece of it that I'm having trouble with is, I, I guess, you know, whenever we're making classifications, it invites in separation. So whenever that's Mm -hmm. probably the issue that I'm having with it, which is, you know, let me take one more step back. It's interesting because I remember reading Dolores Cannon and when she talks about incarnations, her site, like she would put people in deep trances for those who don't know. And then she would walk people into a past life, have them die and then go into the, um, afterlife and then she would use her hypnosis sessions sessions to basically map out the astral plane her definition of it which i kind of always just ran with was that you have certain missions or you know things you want to get done in this life and then you go into this like almost simulator with a bunch of screens around you kind of like at the end of the matrix whenever like all those screens are circling and you can see which lives align with the missions that you're trying to carry out. You then pick a life and then that's when you incarnate. However, I just got to a point where I found Paramahansa who was talking about incarnations and his was more describing. So first of all, I would say that that's probably more close to your drip downs. And then Paramahansa was talking about how, what, what he would call probably more closer to your loopers, but See, they're both saying it as in terms of this is everybody. So Paramahansa was more like, you know, the carnation wheel. So when we incarnate, we still have the same energy in which we left our, left our last incarnation and we just bring that into the next one. And we kind of just essentially have that looping mechanism until we find the salvation. We no longer have egoic desires. And then we move on to the astral plane where essentially the same process plays out. So where it gets interesting now is that you're bringing in this new conundrum of both of them being true, in my opinion, my interpretation of what's being said. But so then that makes it difficult for me to understand because I would kind of just take the assumption that we're, maybe that's not fair. Maybe we're, okay, what I was going to say is I would take the assumption that we're all able to experience both. But at that same, or we would experience the same thing. But at that same time, my mind is saying, well, we're deviated so far away from source that we can still experience that separation or those differences in the incarnation process. Um, so that felt like a whole bunch of word vomit right there. But I, I, I guess my difficult nature right i can feel my ego it's like yeah i'm a drip down but then there's the like maybe a more calm place where i'm like it it feels off to think that there would be like these two different ways of incarnating it's like whenever people talk about npcs it's like hard for me to to jump on board with it because i'm like well they have the power to do it but 
you know, is it, is it a, just a frequency thing? Is it people that are, you know, just at a different frequency in their journey? Like wh- where, I feel like there's something I'm missing here. Are you able to help me with that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, also, I feel the same way. I've never, I say I've never met an NPC. Like I don't, I I totally understand what people are talking about when they are referring to the concept. I've never met one. I, everybody I have met has a soul. Is that because that's my own projection? Very possibly. But I've, I've never met somebody that I'm like, you're just empty. Like you're just a background character. Yeah. And I feel like who, who the fuck am I to yeah. <laughs> say that about everybody anyway. So I I agree I agree with you. I guess another way to um think about it so that we don't bring in that separation and that sense of like some of us are like we're the heroes, we're the rescuers and we're coming to rescue the the downtrodden pathetic ones that can't get out of here. Um would be like if if you Clayton who I'm speaking to right now, if you are a drip down and you've come in here from outside and you're living out maybe like five or six or seven different incarnations all at the same time through different time periods, it could be that the one that you're coming to rescue is the looper aspects of yourself that got stuck here. So you're like on a soul retrieval mission mm. to like you are almost like you are the Christ bridge that is coming to shepherd the lost pieces of yourself back home that makes sense but that's a lot because it 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 makes sense because uh you know the way that i've been starting to view the world especially in regards to what i've been being taught by paramahansa which is you know we're all these divine sparks we're all these fractals of god and we then get encased in a causal body, which gets encased in an astral body, and then gets encased in a physical body, which is what we're experiencing right now. So if you go back up that entire chain of command, we're all from the same original source. Mm-hmm. <sighs> which includes, like, which includes the dark players, right? Like, this was a huge. Oh, I got. I went through such an intense dark night of the soul in um november and december of last year it like holy moly i felt like i got crushed by it it was so intense and it was just like i got cookie crumb fed by my higher self i would say a bunch of things that walked me deeper into like the really dark underbelly of this realm that we're in things i already knew about like um cults the occult child sacrifice pedophilia like really dark stuff that i i knew about but it's almost like i was guided to look at it more closely and find a way to be at peace and at the same time acknowledge like what i would term it as an abomination and anybody that desecrates like the purity of a child or a baby, but also even anybody, because we're all, we all carry that child or baby within us. It, it seems like an abomination to me. So it was like I was having a hold intense duality within myself. And um, the thing, and I was also really deeply examining like Christ and trying to understand Christ on a deeper level. So it made sense that I got led down that because Christ is like, the light and there then is a darkness right that those things want to be reconciled together so 
some a vision that I kind of received to help me understand it was I was like being guided down into I don't know like maybe like a cave or an underground lair and it had like a staircase a spiral staircase that was carved out of stone all the way down the edge of like is a cylindrical drop into an underground layer. And anyway, um, and it felt like I was being taken on an astral journey by Christ. And I was walking behind Christ down these stairs. And as I could get, like we got deeper down the stairs, the energy of the pain and the suffering was so overwhelming. And yet Christ never wavered in his peace. All he emanated was like, peace and mercy and acceptance and love. And when we got to the bottom, it was like I was being shown what, I don't know, another understanding of what redemption means. And he, there were people there representing the darkest darkness that were hurting, uh, basically were hurting other humans and hurting children. And what, what he said was, Anybody who is anybody and everybody who is ready to leave this nightmare behind is now welcome. And that was it. It was all players. It was the victims and the victimizers. And they were equally, they were of equal value. And some of them came and we just walked back up the stairs and he just brought those who were ready out of the nightmare back into. I can I assume that the the end place um because I just went to the surface and then you know there was like almost like a transmutation is back into the um like almost like the illusion being dissolved back into the wholeness the oneness of everything and that was really powerful to me to see that because it helped me to understand something I was grappling with, which is that sense of separation. And like, I, I, I felt very hung up on, like, I know there are people here doing nefarious things and that there are probably other beings that aren't necessarily human that are also doing nefarious things. And yet where do they fit in all of creation? Like, if this is all God, like, where do they fit? How does this fit? What am I supposed to do with this? And that was the answer to that question, which is like, we are all God. All of every single piece is equally precious and valued and loved. And, you know, there is at the end of the day, what it honestly felt like, and people might take issue with this, but what it felt like to be in that experience was that um, there was no need to mete out some horrible form of justice or vengeance for the suffering that occurred, but that the process of choosing to return to the light would involve its own. I don't know, like, like every, like, say, if we, th if we think about every soul that has done something terrible to somebody else, it's kind of like what we hear when people report like life reviews, almost like, you have to pass through this um, veil of the accumulation of everything that you have participated in and feel it 
in order to return. And I th- honestly, I think that's the heart. I think the heart is the key to everything. And the heart is that, that passageway back into the light and the, it's like the portal out of the, the nightmare whenever we're ready to take it. Yeah, that's interesting because even from, let's say, a chakra perspective, you know, the lower frequencies are like safety, fear, groundedness attached to this earthly possession. But then once you move through the heart, it becomes about truth, seeing the astral, being connected to the divinity. <clears throat> so there's definitely a parallel in terms of, I'm trying to say chakras now. I feel like that's the appropriate way to say it. So I'm trying to say chakras. Yeah. It sounds cool too. Um, but I find that interesting. And but I, but from your uh, experience or vision, whatever, however you want to deem it, Christ, what did you say? Christ said said that whoever wants to come can now join me. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. So so how does this play into the idea of karma? Then is it that even? I mean, I, I guess, and maybe this is not the like the message, right? The message you got from it was that everybody is able to be find salvation. Everyone can be redeemed. But it, it struck me as though they didn't need to play out their own karma. Is that is that a separate lesson that that wasn't brought to you, or is that somehow woven into this? I think that's what I mean when I'm. Ta- I don't think I articulate it well because it all blends together. I don't want to talk forever, but when I talk about moving through the portal of the heart and passing through that veil of the accumulated, it's like the emotional felt bank of everything we have participated in. So, like, I I don't know about. I think maybe I first read about this in um, Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls, but I can't remember because it's been a long time since I've read those. But some people share about um, like a life review experience at the end of their lives where as they are seeing everything, it's like they when they are released from the physical body, they suddenly get almost like 360 degree vision where they relive their whole life, but from the perspective of everyone involved. And some people have described it as being like excruciating. And like, there are moments when, you know, Mm. like when you just said something mean to somebody as a kid on a play on a playground, and it seems like fairly inconsequential, like something you're not proud of, but also not like the biggest deal in the world. But you feel how that landed with the other person and the the ripple effect that it created it feels like that like as we were passing up through it it was like to return to salvation means that you completely feel everything that you participated in but that liberates you from the process of the karmic wheel because that's the whole point of the karmic wheel anyway is to it's like you're doing it in slow motion um, mm. versus just passing through this one like prolonged but temporary moment of like in blinding intensity of everything you participated in while you were immersed in the illusion. Man. You know, the the thoughts that are kind of coming to me is like thinking about that that place of being if you're like a truly malevolent person who has carried out destruction on the world like you know again bringing back uh my man paramahansa he talks about how like right when you die 
you know, you can experience like you experience either a nightmare or you can experience like a very blissful dream, which is kind of that recollection process. And yeah, I mean, I could only, it's very, and maybe there's a piece of us that, you know, past the anger, if you will, that's like, just feels so bad for these souls that have carried out such malevolent forces on the world. And to think that they'd be trapped in a, in a nightmare that's, you know, they energetically have to feel all of the things that they did. Like I can't, it, it's kind of hard for me to even just mentally comprehend like some of the, let's say the the top uh, aggressors in those realms, like what they would possibly have to experience once getting to that place of, you know, call it judgment, um, getting to that final place. Like that would be, that's heavy just to think about. That's heavy for me just to think about. And then for someone to actually have to go through it is like a whole nother story. I mean, I think that's why, I think that's why we see it going the way that it's going in, in like our world and our dimensional bandwidth that we occupy as humans. Um, because I think that those those players who have played those very dark roles a lot of them are like fuck that i do not ever want to feel that and i think that's what the darkness is too is like the extreme ego that is choosing separation and like choosing you know it's like no i will live forever and i will become like god and you have no like you know that kind of um egomaniacal insanity and so some of them are like clinging to it but i perceive that there are a lot of people who are wrapped up in the darkness who are suffering horribly and really really um i don't want to say like i don't want to make it sound like oh poor them or anything like that but just i i just acknowledge that it takes a humongous toll it is the complete opposite of what we are actually what we actually are to play those roles and play them for a prolonged period of time and when i tune into those those things i feel a lot of suffering and a lot of remorse kind of like when we hear about people who you know get recruited into gangs and then they just want to leave the gang so badly but they feel like how can i possibly how can I like the, the, the price is too high. I'm in too deep like that. Mm. Yeah. I think it's uh no, it's certainly difficult because I'm sure there are people who may or may not listen to this, but th- there's certainly an energy of, you know, wanting those people being like, Oh no, it's so great that they get to suffer for all the things that they did. But you know, it seems it seems that it comes back to that compa- that place of calm and compassion and peace, and and maybe that's even how Jesus was able to attain Christ consciousness is being able to be in that place. You know, he was strung up. You know, he was he had to care. He was to- tortured for all intents and purposes for doing nothing wrong other than speaking truth, and then had to carry a cross forever, and then you know was humiliated and then eventually died and one of his last words were forgive them for what they not know what they do and it's like Mm -hmm. it's like man like that level that level of compassion i mean it makes sense that so many people look up to him and see him as like the figure because it's like i mean i i can't say i'd have that level of compassion if (laughs) i was put through the ring like that but you know maybe that's you know it comes back i think 
it, maybe this is a beautiful thing, right? Is it comes back to what your vision was experiencing with him going down into that dark place and how you're feeling all this terribleness and yet all of this terrible energy that you're feeling around you. And he's still sitting there in this place of calmness in this place of peace in this place of bliss, just not allowing the external environment to harm his internal environment. Yeah. Like coming back to that sort of eye of the hurricane analogy, like he was so deeply connected to the absolute truth of the highest love that is the highest light that is God that even going down into the darkest places where the most like the most awful forms of the illusion play out he knew it was an illusion and that it's optional and that all of the participants could leave whenever they're ready and that there is a way out and it's to pass back through the heart and back up to god um that's what it that's what it felt like and i think too like I mean, this is a hard one to articulate, but the dark players are us, just like the loopers are us. And so if we identify with being a drip down, it's not because we're better. It's because there's a part of us that likewise exists outside of all of this illusion that is like ready to come and invite those lost pieces back. And so the dark players, like it's, it's, I think it's a really important thing for anybody who identifies as, um, a light worker or an indigo or a star seed or a way shore or whatever, um, you know, labels we put on it to describe the feeling of like Dolores Cannon says, being here on a mission to bring higher consciousness. It's very important that we don't get caught in the ego trap of believing that our shit don't stink and believing that we are um, that makes us better and we're somehow above the darkness. I think that we are the cleanup crew and we're here because this mess is ours. But but I also don't say that from a place of like but back in the conversation earlier, you were talking about how there is a prevailing belief that um, whether it's a majority of belief or not, I agree. There's a lot of people who perceive that human beings are a plague on the earth and we should be eradicated. And I think that that's an extreme um sort of it's like a warping of that that acceptance that we are like this is our mess this is our mess to clean up but that doesn't mean that we deserve to all be wiped out and die there's so much beauty to us as well and we're the ones that get to choose are we going to highlight the beauty or are we going to highlight the darkness and the mess and we also get to clean up the mess as like i think that's also why so many of us are being called to do that really deep introspective work and shadow work and clearing out our trauma, working with our nervous system, using things like breath work, um, the Akashic records to more deeply understand ourselves, meditation practices, yoga, like you name it, right? Those are all just modalities or practices that we can use because we feel truly, genuinely guided inside of ourselves to clean up the mess. And we all have shadow. We all have things that we deeply regret. And it, it's um, like, I remember also this point where I realized, well, I, I am of the belief. I mean, I don't want to go, go too deeply into politics either, but I'll, I'll just name drop here. I had a really intense dream that really hammered it home for me once, which again, I don't feel like was a dream. I feel like it was a remote viewing astral experience, but I believe that, um, 
Hillary Clinton is one of the, like, is a very dark actor, very involved with very, very dark things. And I had this realization around the same time last year that I had the experience with Christ where I was like, I cannot honestly say that if I were to walk through her life in her shoes, that I would be any different. Do you know what I mean? Like, and this isn't giving her a hall pass to, or anybody, like we don't have to make it about her, but it's not giving um, people a hall pass to just do whatever they want without considering the suffering it creates for others. But it's, it's more realizing like, again, it's not like my shit doesn't stink. It's not like, it's not like I'm just such an evolved person that I am completely above any kind of, um, dark action. It's, it's something that I'm working on cultivating all the time and actively choosing all the time. But I have regrets in my past, just like anybody else. I have said those throwaway comments to people, or I've done things that, you know, I deeply regret and wish isn't what I, I did. I wish it wasn't my choice. It was a reflection of the level of consciousness I was at, but, and, but it can go so much darker. You know, if I was literally like guided and groomed toward a path of darkness, I very well could be acting out that path of darkness and could be one of the people that others are referring to. So it, to me, it feels like it's that helps me at least to dissolve that sense of separation as well, to be like, it's all just us. Like if we are characters within the dream of a great dreaming mind, like when you have a bad dream and there's a villain that's doing something like hurting somebody you love and you wake up, you realize the villain was a piece of your own consciousness. Yeah. It's a difficult thing to wrestle with. It is. It is. Even at, you know, even at my stage in my evolutionary process, it's a difficult piece of the puzzle because it, it really I think what makes it difficult is this feeling that comes with it to have to, or want to do something about it, which is difficult because if it goes back to earlier in the conversation, there's only so much we can do, which is protecting our inner peace. So do you feel like that there's a level of, you know, you know, they say ignorance is bliss, but I also think that there's a level of being, you know, wisdom is bliss. Huh? Because it feels to me like if you get to a place where you know enough, you can be at a place of bliss as well. I don't know if there's a question here, but an interesting realization maybe that I just came to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but maybe you have to struggle through that ignorance. It's almost like ignorance isn't really bliss. Ignorance brings about pain, but you're just ignorant to why. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. When I think about the people like in my personal life who I would say are still in a state of blissful unawareness, um, at this point, they are definitely actively choosing that unawareness. Like there's they're they are more aware right now that they're deliberately being mm. like this and have their fingers in their ears. And again, it's like a fragile piece, right? Like it's a piece that is fragile. It can be broken by the things that we're observing outside and experiencing in life. And I agree with you that like to be ignorant doesn't mean you're happy necessarily. There is, there's some kind of bliss because you are unaware of how much power you have 
in your own situation, but then there is a lot of pain. Like I think we all live with a lot of pain and trauma, even if we came from the best childhood, we've all had painful experiences and that, um, that pain, if you're ignorant, you don't know where that pain is or how to find it or how to fix it. And that's a, that's a pretty, I think most people live that way. And I mean, I would never go back to it. I don't want to live that way anymore. I figured it out to this point. We're good. We're going to move past that. Right. <clears throat> but this is actually bringing up something I brought up earlier, an article that I found. I have found it. I don't know if this is the one that I saw, so I haven't read it through, but it's like nurse reveals the top five regrets people make on their deathbed. So maybe this is actually a way that we can bring us back to something actionable that we're able to look at. So number one, I wish I had, <clears throat> I'd had, I wish I'd had, yeah, we're going back to that bad grammar. When we write, maybe we can't do the bad grammar, but um, number one, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. This was the most common regret, regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to choices they had made or not made. That's crazy. Especially whenever we break that down from like our perspective here of like saying that this is a dream world. And then we have like dreams within the dream that we want to act out. And it leaves us with this place of unfulfilling our dreams within the dream. Wow. Now I feel like I'm taking this to a place of inception, but, <laughs> but is there like, do you feel like there's a uh, corollary here with like unfulfilled dreams and reincarnation of like, if we don't complete things, we need to come back and do them again. Definitely. I definitely perceive that there is like, that's a big, that's a big motivator. And that can be one of those themes. I was talking about those energetic themes that like, if you die and it was in your heart to like be something, fulfill something, then you, you can get pulled back into an incarnation where you have another opportunity to express that. Mm. Yeah. And I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because most of the reason that we don't, pursue those is because um or a lot of the reason i think that motivates a lot of people is we're afraid of other people's judgment and then when you think about it and you look at it and you're like wait that person was totally like traumatized and you know asleep themselves like why did i why did i hold myself back for because of the opinions of somebody who is also unhappy yeah <laughs> you know yeah i mean that's a huge thing too is just realizing like do you really, I, I don't know, maybe this is just like an energetic thing, but like paying attention to whose value or like whose judgment you're placing weight on. And I know it's, it's a lot easier said than done, but you know, after my TikTok and Instagram have blown up, I've seen plenty of comments, but being able to filter out which ones are coming from a place of genuine curiosity and which ones are coming from a place of like, Hey, my life's actually not going that well. So I'm going to lash out on this comment sage of this of this post coming to that realization has definitely helped me a lot in in truly embodying what i'm trying to go for in life and people who mm. either align with that message or don't which is totally cool but at the end of the day it's like you're gonna help more people by aligning with that thing as opposed to cowering away from it a hundred percent a hundred percent it's interesting do you do you receive a lot of like 
like trolly angry comments i haven't posted a lot recently but yeah i mean i so my tiktok specifically because i you know have you gone to the book by the way that's what i was gonna bring up yeah yes i have yes oh i love it i love it yeah um we don't have to make this a whole uh, a promo for the book right now, but <laughs> um, on the the TikTok is what got me started on actually writing that book. It was because I well, you read it, but for those who might not know, I found the Gospel of Thomas and then started, you know, dissecting it on you on TikTok, and that was the first exposure I had to like a massive video going viral. And I mean, the comments, I mean, you know, being told that you're a heretic or you're a demon worshiper or, you know, Christ is the only thing, the Bible's the only thing that you need to know can be very painful. It's a very painful experience. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of it is that it's really shown me a lot of the cracks within the, the church, within Catholicism, within Orthodox Christianity of a the incongruencies that have been perpetuated by the church not taught by jesus might i say i want to add that very clearly not that jesus taught them but the way that things have been interpreted or misconstrued accidentally or purposely i'm not going to say either way but you know maybe some of it was purpose maybe some of it was accident but it's very fascinating to see you know people that are just regurgitating of things or like when you start seeing the same comment over and over again you're like Okay, you start realizing where there's like a like a um a theme, right? Like are you are you really thinking for yourself if this is the same yeah. comment that I've seen five times again? And so it really invites me to be like okay. like it's weird because it's super empowering at the same time to be like okay, the fact that this comment keeps coming up tells me that people aren't actually thinking about this issue. It's just something that they've been taught to believe and have been conditioned to believe, and they're just going to keep regurgitating it and repeating it. So there's like something here to specifically go to and act on or talk about. And, you know, especially, I think, especially whenever I hear the comment, the one that's coming to mind right now as an example is the Bible is the only book you need. Any other books are heretical and it's not the word of Jesus. Meanwhile, it's like, dude, this is not. This is not in accordance with what he teaches, right? Don't judge others. Don't, Mm -hmm. you know, cast judgment. Like that was a big one. Um, Actually, I just, I got that one recently. That's a big one, especially touching on judgment, which is like, you know, I, I looked at the YouTube page, your YouTube page, and you're going down a very dark path of new age spiritualism, which will not help you and you will need to be saved from it. To which I replied, like, and again, this is a very powerful point. Make sure you're in a place of calmness when you reply to these things. Because I can very much feel like my anger wanting to tell him off. I know he's wrong. But coming back to a place of calmness and just being like, look, I'm happy to have a conversation with with you about Jesus. But I'm not going to be doing it whenever you're sitting here with just a word vomit of something that doesn't make sense at all. And casting judgment on my viewpoint you know probably nothing about me if that's your comments that you're making so if you're going to bring this up in the future like actually have something you're talking about don't just label everything i'm doing as being dark and you know new age spiritualist and so i bring all of this up because uh oh the mass programming is that why i brought this up was the mass programming i feel like there was something else 
I think so. Well, but I mean, I asked you if you get a lot of a lot of those kind of comments, and I think that's what you were talking about. And you were talking about like, yeah, hearing the same kind of themes regurgitated over and over and over, which indicates to you, to me, it indicates that there's a massive crown chakra trauma. Yeah. Oh, and this ties back into human design too, which is amazing. Oh, crown chakra. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that, but it's tying back into my human design where like my mission here is like a heretical investigator. So my job is to like pay attention to like the big picture items, like, like don't hold people responsible. Like I, I can see, and I know there are people who go after individuals, but mine is more to look at like the overall structure of things. And then like, you know, pick them out and be like, okay, like this is a common thing that people keep saying. Let's dive into it and talk about why this is misconstrued and where we're off the mark on it. Are you a five one? I see. I don't know that deep. Maybe. Um, is that heretical investigator? Okay. I think so. I mean, I'm not a human. I'm not a deep okay. human design person either. I was just wondering if that was what see. it was. Um, the the crown chakra trauma i'll just talk about that while you look it up is to me it is that um basically the extremely deep and trauma based programming that we have received through many generations through like innumerable cultures to sever our direct connection with god i know we talked about this on my podcast too um to the point where you believe that your own interpretation of the word of christ or any other um, source of like divine wisdom from other cultures or whatever is is not good enough or is dangerous, and so you have to you have to believe an externalized authority of either you know like the the papacy or um, the church of any kind the the particular preacher in your church the Bible whatever but it's like. Um, and I'm sure it applies to other religions as well. I just can't speak to them because I don't have personal embodied experience with those other religions. But it's to me, it like I have a past life memory of being alive during the Spanish Inquisition and it was so dark. And the the amount of trauma that was inflicted on people from the church, I can just see the way it ripples out through all these other experiences and cultures and stuff. And the whole point of it was to sever the connection at the crown chakra, oh. where you are not allowed to trust your own crown. You are not allowed to trust your own connection to the divine. You can't talk directly to God. You have to go through us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That hits a, that's a big thing with the church. And that's a big thing that I always point out in my Instagram videos, which is like them putting themselves between you and God. It's like, no, you, this is something that Gnostics talk about a lot, which is that divine spark that lives within every single one of us. Therefore, you have a communication mm -hmm. line to God. You just got to know how to pick up the phone and to pick up the phone, we come to calmness. So it's super cool. And then I just looked up uh, to kind of backtrack us to human design. It is a five one. And I think it's also hilarious that heretic is in the title of this. Um, so the five one profile in human design is a blend of the fifth aligned heretic and the first line investigator. These individuals, AKA me are characterized by their need to make sense of the world and their ability to influence others through their practical insights and solutions. Understanding the dynamics of this profile can provide valuable insights into how 5-1 profiles navigate their life experiences and relationships. The fifth line, or heretic, is the most transpersonal line in the hexagram. It's about being universal, being for everyone. 
Those with this line in their profile often feel a calling to be of practical use to others, solving problems and addressing needs. They are naturally seen by others as problem solvers and may often find themselves in situations where they are called to provide practical solutions, which is hilarious because I was a computer engineer for, you know, the first 10, 20 years of my life. Uh, The first line in this profile, the investigator, adds a foundation of depth and curiosity. It drives the 5-1 profile to understand how things work and how to delve deep into their interests. This line is about getting to the foundations of things, searching for security through knowledge. Whoa, that's funny that it's all about wisdom, that book. In the context of the 5-1 profile, it is this deep understanding that underpins their problem-solving ability. The interaction between the fifth and first lines in the 5-1 profile creates an interesting dynamic. The drive to investigate from the first line feeds the practical solving problem the practical problem-solving ability in the fifth line, and in turn, the recognition and demand from others in the fifth line, can steer the focus of the investigation in the first line. This cycle can make the 5-1 profile highly effective in roles where deep understanding and practical solutions are needed. However, this profile also comes with its challenges. Because fifth-line individuals are often projected upon by others, They may sometimes struggle with unrealistic expectations or misunderstandings. Balancing their need for solitude in the first line with the demand of others' fifth line can also be a challenge for 5-1 profiles. Yeah, totally. I was going to say fives get projected on a lot because I'm a 2-5. So that's the the hermit and the heretic. And that is, um, we were talking about my Akashic readings right at the very beginning. And I was explaining that I don't, I don't desire to do single session readings as my like main thing anymore. And that's, that's part of it because with that fifth line, like it's just, we just naturally attract projection that used to happen to me in my dating life all the time. Like, like guys would project onto me the kind of girl they thought I was. I mean, I, we all do that to each other. I was definitely doing that to other people, but it was a pattern. And then they would want me to be that. And Mm -hmm. if I couldn't be that, you know, I felt like I was failing, but in, in terms of the Akashic records, it's like, I just, um, you know, I can see a lot in the Akashic records, but I still only have a human mind. So I can't see the whole picture all at once and i don't have every answer for every person and i don't i just don't think that's how it works like we're all supposed to uncover our own answers and coming back to that crown chakra thing like we each have our own connection to god so i find that what i'm best at in the akashic records is almost like bringing forward like little pieces that activate your own like the your own process of being like oh my god and like all the pieces falling into place and some of it comes through me and my words and what I can see, but I think it's an internal alchemy that I trigger in other people, but it's hard with single sessions. I just found it was very hard energetically for me to brace myself to have people come with an expectation that, I don't know, I don't want to say that they thought I was going to solve other problems. I don't think that's actually what people were expecting, but just like a lot of a lot of something built up, a lot of anticipation. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's, 
it's an it's intense to be a to have a five in the profile to to feel like you want like exactly you want more than anything to help people and solve problems and make things better and make yourself available and be of service and then that feeling of like but if i if i let myself be guided too much by that or if i go in that direction too much then i become like I'm trying to meet the expectations that people bring that are unreasonable. So it's kind of then you have to go back to your other setting where you're kind of like you were saying with the jujitsu as well. Like I just, I just want to, I just want to help um, without tying it up to the perception that like I can fix things or I can solve the problem. It's yeah. It's an interesting profile number to balance. Oh, I, I, I get it. <laughs> Speaking, I get it. But yeah, I think that's also probably what comes into, you know, and that's probably why patience has been a huge thing for me, at least recently, but just in general, I can feel it. And it's maybe it's a little bit more difficult for me because, you know, you mix in this, you know, what were the combinations? It's like problem solving. Let me see here. We have the problem solving ability. You know, I want to investigate. I want to have the problem solving ability. And then I'm also trying to balance my demand for others, but then also myself at the same time so like you combine all of that i mean in my mind i'm like okay i'm gonna deep investigate this i figure it out i can solve the problem right like that's kind of now i'm thinking about it there's probably an element of that in that book that i wrote which is to solve this problem of like why we're unable to connect like like truly embody our own christ consciousness within the church and like how they've deviated from it and so now that i see the problem now that i've in asterisk and air quotes solve the problem in a way it's like now i just need to be patient and let it unfold naturally as opposed to being like guys like here's the answer like don't don't call me a heretic anymore here's the answer but you know i think that's where that patience element comes in is like okay you did your work take a step back be patient and let it unfold as it will yeah totally and and i mean like people there's a lot to be said for seeds being planted, right? Like even the people in the comment sections, they could really be strongly clinging to and voicing a fear-based perception that they have because there's fear behind it. But your your composure and coming back to them and your willingness to keep sharing the information that resonates as true for you and just offering it as a perspective and being like, I'm not saying that I have the accurate interpretation of Christ. I'm just contributing to right. the the discord. Um, that might plant a seed for them where they, when they're ready, it opens up a whole avenue that leads them to a greater, I don't know. I don't, I don't even want to like project onto them that they are in a bad place, but just ad- advances them on their own journey in whatever direction they well and especially wanting and i think i think probably another element of this which is huge is that calmness piece because i'm sure there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. probably majority of people who are who have been in my situation past present future would react to a lot of those comments either by disengagement and non-attached well non-attachment is good either way but disengagement or if they do engage it's going to be from a place of anger or the sympathetic nervous system which again, as we've talked about, is not a good place to do it. So if I'm able to get myself to a place of calmness and still engage in those conversations, I think that would be super, super beneficial for all of them and then myself included. Because, you know, A, it's showing me non-attachment to my ideas. They could be updated. They could become better. And then also it's showing them that there's a calm approach 
to having the conversation without it needing to go to a place of name calling or judgment. And even more so now I'm thinking about this could be providing me with some pretty solid YouTube titles that I can make videos on of (laughs) just, just take those words, put it into a YouTube title and then just talk about the opposite. (laughs) You know, totally, totally. It's like, it's like perfect kind of like clickbait titles that yeah, pull people in. Then you're like, bam, here's a, here's a bounce. Yeah. (laughs) Here's an example of dark age, new spirituality. And then halfway through it, I'm like, okay, well this is why it actually works and why it agrees with all the other religions. Oh, wow. That's good. I'm going to have to remember that. I'm going to have to remember that. All right. I'll, I'll remember it. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I appreciate that. Thanks for helping me out with that, Amy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, uh, it's also cool because I think, and this is where the investigator piece comes in is that I'm getting to a place now where I'm able to see all these interconnected things that are happening behind the scenes that people usually aren't, in my opinion, looking for. The connection between Jesus, the connection to Paramahansa, the connection with how Dolores Cannon talks about the astral world and reincarnation, how you talk about it in regards to like these drips or loopers, how um, Buddhism talks about it with the incarnation wheel. And so it seems to me that, and this is where I come back to wisdom is bliss, is that there's many different ways to describe like the esoteric natures or questions that we have about reality. And if you can embody that wisdom, you now can operate in the world with bliss and calmness that no matter how people are going to poke at or question the way you view the world, there's a way that you can articulate it to them that makes sense to them. I think that's just beyond powerful, no matter what line of, whether it's in spirituality or computer engineering, or we're talking about plants. I think that's a very powerful communication ability that everyone and anyone should be able to to tap into. Mm-hmm. Because it bridges that distance of separation. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. It makes me think of our our inherent telepathic abilities, which we've, you know, kind of gotten wobbly on and, and we're not super confident in it yet. But um and I think we talked about this. Yeah. Cause you, you offered the analogy of English, like chopping carrots. And so I think we went into it a little bit, but like our, our natural setting for communication is through um, a telepathy that comes through our third eye. So transmitting like imagery to each other and telepathy through the heart. So just like feeling each other and then telepathy through the sacral, which is like being in deep sort of like relationship and presence with each other. And we uh our the way that we have been sort of trained out of that and trained into using language creates an increased sense of separation because then we're like alone with our ideas and our ability to communicate our ideas determines how understood and seen and validated we feel. And so for somebody who isn't very good with words or, you know, especially like I think about people who have stutters or things like that and feel, they feel very isolated because their throat chakra is all the pressure is put on the throat chakra to 
make themselves understood. Mm. And yeah, it's like we're, it, it, it really amplifies the experience of separation between us to have to rely on English language or any language for that matter. Although I think it's probably different for indigenous languages. Um, those are probably, they feel to me when I hear them, even if I don't understand what they mean, they, they feel different in the way that they flow out and the somatic sensations it conjures up within me. But, um, because we are here at this place where we are utilizing language to communicate, I think it is really beautiful when we can find a way to be dexterous enough with words to bridge those gaps of separation and find a meeting place with the other person that we're in conversation with, even if it seems like we have opposing perspectives, like to be able to find a way to bridge that is, it's a big triumph. Yeah. feels like a victory. That's huge. Well, I mean, especially because if it's, an energetically charged conversation your nervous system mm -hmm. your nervous system is going to be activated so you need to take that time to like just calm it down and then i'm sure that's what would unlock that little piece that would be able to open you up to see that bigger picture of what's actually unfolding mm -hmm. totally totally that's it that's my takeaway from our conversation is like calmness calmness is the key, is the key. <laughs> is that gonna be the title of this podcast episode calmness is the key um but no, it does feel like a great spot to wrap it up. I mean, Amy, I'm beyond grateful for connecting with you in this podcast and our previous podcast on your episode. Uh, let the audience know how they can get in touch with you. I'll have your links down below, but you know, let them know how they can get more, get more Amy in their life. And yeah, if you have any final messages for them, let them know. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, just for sharing this conversation is like a beautiful way to spend the afternoon. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, so you can find me at amybelair.com. I am cosmic.oracle on Instagram and just know that there are some imposters. I will never, never send you a DM trying to like give you a shady reading. Um, so just ignore all of those. And you can also find me on my podcast, which is Third Eye Awakening. Uh, Clayton was featured. We had an awesome conversation there too. And it's all about spiritual and psychic awakening and just like everything under that like broad umbrella of cool topics. So yeah, those are the places that people can find me. Um, I run a whole plethora of courses teaching people how to read the Akashic Records for themselves, teaching them how to do it as a skill and a service for others and start a business around it, um, how to activate your psychic abilities and find magic in the darkness and like, you know, your own dark night of the soul experiences. So just check it out. Hell yeah. Amy, thanks again. Appreciate it. Guys, go check out our podcast. We had an incredible conversation on it. So that's honestly a good spot to start off. And if we don't, if you don't see it, I guess it's also cool, but we'll definitely have a talk about it whenever we see each other in the sixth dimension. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we're out.